This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. I'm Kristen. And Kristen, um, I was looking through some baby pictures recently. Yeah? And here's the thing about me. I had no hair when I was born. (laughs) And I didn't have any hair until I was about four years old. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was actually, it kind of worried my parents. Yeah? So. Um, so I looked like this little bald child. And um, as a result, there was a lot of confusion about if I was a little boy or a little girl to strangers in, like, the grocery store. I bet that was awkward for your mom. Apparently, my mom fielded a lot of things like, oh, what a cute little boy. <laughs> and so as a result, I got put in a lot of pink. Really? A lot of pink. Like pink headbands, pink shirts, pink pants. Mm-hmm. So that everyone would know immediately, this is This is a Molly. girl. She has no hair yet, she which might, is kind of weird, but she's a girl. All right. So, I mean, that is just one way that I guess that people can quickly identify a sort of androgynous looking baby. Well, here's my question. Your mom put you in a lot of pink when you were a kid. How did you, once you started dressing yourself, did you keep wearing a lot of pink or did you kind of discard it? I kind of discarded pink. Um, I feel like I did not wear it very much at all and not even dresses. I feel like, you know, most kids probably prefer being in like overalls except for Surrey Cruz. (laughs) <laughs> who loves to wear little dresses around, but no, adorable. I, f- I feel like as soon as I could dress myself, it was like jeans, maybe some purple. I did like purple. I did like purple too. Yeah. I kind of did the same thing. Yeah. Abandoned pink as soon as I, as soon as I could, cause I kind of wanted to be a boy. Really? So I thought it was cooler. I don't know. Weird, you know. <laughs> you know. But why, why do you think that, you know, as soon as we're born, we're like, oh, let's put a girl in pink? Well, uh, we can trace that back to the 1940s when in the United States, girls started wearing pink and boys started wearing blue. But I thought it was kind of strange that, um, in the 20s, it was actually reversed. Way back in the day, all babies just wore white. And then for some reason in the 20s, boys started being dressed in pink. And girls started being dressed in blue. And then a couple decades later, it flip-flopped and it stayed the same. Yeah, it really hasn't. I don't think that I've seen much evidence as to why the switch happened. But I guess for a while, pink was seen as more of a masculine color. And uh, blue is more like the dainty, delicate color for little girls. Mm -hmm. And now it's definitely pink is, I would say that pink, especially in like Western culture, is definitely the sign of femininity, you know? Yeah. If you... From girlhood on, I mean, even as an adult, there are so many pink products marketed towards us. Yeah, like, uh, you know, pink blackberries. That's Mm -hmm. one of the ways they say they got women interested in blackberries, which were seen as, you know, the men's ultimate gadget. They started making them pink. Yeah, they came out with a blackberry, a pink blackberry pearl for uh, Valentine's Day, 2008. 
And, um, yeah, it boosted sales pretty well. So it follows you all through your life. Like, it starts with, like, a pink Barbie box, and then you go pink Blackberry. You buy maybe pink from Victoria's Secret. You buy pink ribbons to support breast cancer. Right. And originally, I was reading uh, the color for that breast cancer campaign might have been peach, but they thought that pink was more identifiable with women's issues. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, you know, now this starts very young. There's a, a couple of researchers at Princeton University that refer to the phase that little girls go through where they have to have everything, you know, pink and purple as the pink frilly dress phase. Yeah. And they're saying that this uh, phase occurs regardless of how you were dressed as an infant, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, no matter, you know, if your parents were the most uh, egalitarian dress you in overall sort of parents, all of a sudden you're just like, I must have a pink frilly dress. Yeah, so that brings up the question of, uh, you know, if, if kids who are dressed, let's say a kid was dressed in, in white and, or black, whatever, not dressed in pink, and then all of a sudden starts the girl starts dressing herself in pink, my question is, is this a social construct, or is it something that women are just biologically, like, attuned to being attracted to pink? Right. Well, there are some people who are trying to figure this out with research. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a study that was put out that basically said, you know, that I guess they had about 200 test subjects. Um, and overall, everyone, I think, liked blue the best. But then when they really had to pick, then it divided down, uh, you know, the social lines we think of are the boys picked blue and the girls picked more colors on the red spectrum. Right. And that original study included mostly uh, like British Caucasians. But the researchers also polled Chinese women to see if it uh, the the pink preference would cross cultural lines. And it did. It held the uh, the Chinese women also ended up preferring colors from the red spectrum as well. Although something that was left out of that study is that in China, red is a color of luck. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they tried to pull these Chinese people in a sort of proof that across culture, across what you've been taught as a young child, you know, will always pick red. But that it might have ignored the fact that that's sort of a, a lucky color in China. Yeah. And I mean, Molly, I'll be honest with you. I think I would have skewed results, too, because I don't. You? Yeah, I would have picked blue. Over pink. Although I'm wearing a red shirt right now, <laughs> but, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm in more of a blue phase in my life. Really? I gotta say. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel like when you go shopping and you see a lot of pink things? Um, I keep walking. Really? Quickly. Yeah. See, I'll, I'll stop and look. At one point in my life, I almost bought a pair of pink glasses. And this is pretty recently. Like, it's not like I was 10 and was like, oh, pink glasses. They're so cute. I mean, I went as an adult to the, to the optometrist and had to be like, I don't know. The, the sales lady was really trying to push these I pink think glasses. I should have done it. I can see you in those. But that's the thing. They looked kind of cute. <laughs> but did I feel that way about them because I'd been trained to like pink things or because I really liked them? Maybe it is evolution, Molly. Okay, these same researchers that did the, uh, you know, the, the color preference study said that their theory is that we women are evolved to look for, um, to be attracted to pink because during hunter gatherer times, uh, when women would go out foraging for, uh, for plants and other food, uh, red would be the like signifier of ripe berries or, um, also a sign of illness, like a flushed cheeks when, when you get sick. So if you're taking care of your child, mm-hmm. you can so see if they were sick and yeah. then give them berries. Yeah. So it kind of reinforces like the nurturing side yeah, I was reading one article in The Guardian that kind of took on that that theory, and it said basically that, you know, the study was just which color women preferred, not which color they were necessarily better at picking out. Right. Like, you know, it's not like they took everyone out in the forest and saw who could find the most red berries. Yeah, so maybe there a little a little more work needs to be done. But I thought I thought it was kind of interesting. 
Um, and because there was also uh, sort of a study that I thought kind of confirmed this uh, evolutionary perspective. Uh, it, it tested uh, male and female monkey toy preferences to see if sort of the same things applied as far as uh, female monkeys going for more um, traditionally like female types of toys, uh, different colors, and um, and it held up as well. So, you know. So I guess really what might need to happen is just more work with babies. You know, if they can mm-hmm. figure out how to get, you know, a small baby to indicate um, a color preference or in this article, someone posits maybe we should see if colorblind children, if they have any sort of gender confusion or, if you know, they say by the time you're what, two, you can yeah. start to identify which gender you belong to and you start picking things that are associated with that gender. Yeah, and that kind of reminded me of an article that I read in The Atlantic. Um, it's in the November 2008 issue of Atlantic Monthly about transgender boys. And I thought it was interesting that uh, the main subject in the article was um, a boy who basically from birth, as soon as he could start kind of like self-identifying, really felt like he was trapped in the wrong body, wanted to be a girl, um, like wouldn't do anything associated with being a boy. And it was around the age of two and a half that he, that his parents started noticing that he would consistently go for, if given the choice, would consistently go for like pink toys. He would want to play with Barbies, like these very traditionally, um, female, uh, female items. But you kind of wonder, I wonder about someone in that situation, um, you know, you and I both sort of had the luxury of being girls, knowing we were girls. And so we kind of had the right to reject that kind of pink thing. You right. know, you, you clearly rejected pink. I mean, I got seduced by the pink glasses, <laughs> but the ultimate reason I rejected them was because I didn't want to wear them and people think, oh, she's a girly girl. Right. And so we both had sort of the opportunity to be kind of, you know, very, you know, blatantly female to the world. And so as a result, we had sort of the chance to reject pink, whereas someone who might have been trying to prove that to the world maybe over overreached it a little bit. Do you think that's possible? I think that is possible. I think that's another kind of indicator that, that this whole pink thing is sort of a social tool we can use to, uh, you know, to tell, you know, other people, you know, exactly who you are, like identify with your specific gender. Although at the same time, you don't hear a lot about boys, you know, clamoring for blue toys. No, and, if, like you know, that. you think about if you walk through a men's department, not, you know, a, a baby boy department, but by the time you go to the men's department, you see pink dress shirts, pink mm-hmm. ties. Like, I feel like pink follows women in a way that boy that blue does not follow boys. Yeah, and uh, I think that's another reason why now as an adult, Female, I'm, I sort of shy away from, like you said, like going directly for the, for the pink items just because it seems a little, I don't know, a little pandering. It does, but you know, I can't help but think if I were my mother and I had a little baby that was bald, <laughs> I mean, maybe I would fall back on that. I kind of wonder if this pink blue thing is less about what the children need and more about what, you know, validation the parents need for their precious gift. Yeah. Well, Molly, I'm glad that you have a beautiful head of hair now. <laughs> Very full. It is. It is grown in now. <laughs> Thank God. Well, Molly, I think that it's going to take a little more research to to actually answer this whole question of whether or not color is, you know, social or biological. Nature or nurture. Nature or nurture. Age old debate. Who knows? But uh, until then, if you want to learn more about why girls wear pink and boys wear blue and other fascinating topics, you can go to HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 
brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.